So, when I was a kid, uh, I used to watch a show called MacGyver. And the hero was named MacGyver. <laughs> and even though he went around the world helping people and, and fighting bad guys, he refused to carry any weapons except a Swiss Army knife, which isn't really a weapon. But, so here's the thing. Every week, MacGyver would get trapped in a room or, or tied to a bomb or stuck in quicksand or, or something like that. But he never had any weapons to help him, right? So he would always make a grappling hook out of paper clips and bubble gum or, or defuse a bomb with a shoelace or, or something like that. And every time, you know, even as a kid, you have, you have to be watching and thinking, there's no way that this should work. But every week, it would work. M MacGyver, a master of, of getting out of danger by using tactics that should never work. Now, what does all that have to do with the scripture before us? Well, if, if you remember last week, Psalm 33 is about how God's people cannot depend on the strength of horses and earthly weapons to save us from danger. But we must depend on God himself to rescue us. So, so like MacGyver, God's people are not supposed to rely on the expected earthly means for our deliverance. And so when we come to Psalm 34, it records David's response to a time when God rescued him by using a plan that really probably shouldn't have worked. Like, no one expects MacGyver to shoot down an enemy plane with a coat hanger and a chocolate bar, but he does. So, even more, God seems to love to use things that should not seem to work from a human perspective. Now, we can, we can gather that uh, from some background information about this psalm. So, we can get a really clear idea about what life situations would cause David to write this song, psalm uh, because of the heading at the top of it. So, so the heading says that David wrote this psalm about when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and went away. Now, okay, what does that mean? Well, this story uh, that the, the heading is talking about comes from 1 Samuel 21, verses 10 to 15. So, so let's take a look at those and, and see what's going on uh, in, in the story that caused David to write this psalm. So these verses say, And David rose and fled that day from Saul, and went to Achish, the king of Gath. So here, David is leaving Saul, who, who wants to kill him in, in Israel, and he goes to a Philistine king, the king of Gath. And Achish uh, is just uh, most likely another name for Abimelech. The situation in the story is clearly the one mentioned in the heading of the psalm. Uh, and the servants of Achish said to him, is not this David the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands, and David 
his ten thousands. So the Philistines are reminding their king that David has killed lots of their people, lots of their soldiers in battle. And David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So, and this, this is the part that's explicitly mentioned in our Psalms heading. So he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the doors of the gate and let his spittle run down his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, Behold, you see the man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? Okay, so in the situation, David was among the Philistines who were his enemy. And he had killed lots of them. He was known even among the Philistines as a warrior against them. And David became afraid that the Philistine king was going to kill him. So he pretended that he was crazy, that he was insane, so that they would send him away, which they did. Now, it doesn't really seem from our perspective that this plan should work. If, if you are literally in the house of an enemy army, the plan that immediately jumps to mind is likely not, I'll just pretend I'm crazy and they'll let me go. You know, because they saw I was fine 10 minutes ago. Now that I'm acting weird, they'll just open the door for me. But this worked for David. And David wrote Psalm 34 in response to this event, which probably makes it clear why the first half of this psalm erupts in pretty obvious praise. I mean, these are uh, really robust praises here. Notice, though, I mean, this is something important, that, that this psalm never directly addresses God. It doesn't speak to God. This psalm always is directed at the reader. So it's, it's speaking to the human audience. It, it is then a, a statement to us, to God's people, and further, about how we should know that God is good because of what he did for David. David tasted and saw that God is good because of how God delivered him despite the circumstances, and he wants us to consider the same. Now, we, we see that the structure of this psalm is that verses 1 to 10 are a statement about how God was good to David. And then the second half, verses 11 to 22, describe how someone should follow God in light of God's goodness. Now, certainly, verses 1, it was, if we keep in mind that story that we just considered, verses 1 to 10 make really perfect sense because of David's unexpected escape. David would, in that situation, explode in a desire to praise God, like in verse 1. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall be continually in my mouth. Verse 4, I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Verse 8, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. 
in light of God's blessing upon a harebrained escape plan, David should be excited with praise. He tells his readers about God's goodness. Then in the second half of this psalm, David instructs us how to fear the Lord. So he's, he's told us of God's goodness, objectively, and how he's calling people to learn how we might learn to fear God. So verse 11, Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. It, it is noteworthy, though, that this, this section about how to fear the Lord isn't simply about stuff you need to it does be that right there are things about how we need to speak and what we should do how we should pursue peace keep your tongue from evil verse 13 seek peace verse 14 but this section is also about how the fear of the lord includes dependence on the lord the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. Verse 15, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. Verse 17. And that tells us, right, that part of fearing the Lord, learning to cry to him for help, part of fearing the Lord is knowing that we deeply need him. Certainly fearing the Lord means, includes, striving to keep his command and be faithful to his word. But God's people are those whom he has delivered. Delivered people are not perfect, but were rescued, despite not being perfect. If we then Consider this psalm holistically as a response to God's goodness in helping David, despite how his plans really should not have succeeded. Then we can get a pretty clear grasp on, on how now we can apply this psalm directly to ourselves. So there's a, there's a story about an elderly Christian lady driving in a car park and and she knows that she cannot walk very far. But it looks like all of the spaces close to the building are, are totally full. So she's a Christian, so she prays, God, you know I need food from this shop and that I cannot walk very far. Please help me to get a space. Now, as she is praying, someone begins backing their car out of the space right in front of the door. So the woman then interrupts her prayer and says, Never mind, Lord, something just opened up. Now, that's a silly story, but how often do the point of telling it is to note how often we actually do overlook the ways that God richly blesses us despite what should be the case. Maybe things are very difficult for you at work right now and you don't know how you can fix it whatever you do you should pray maybe you don't know right now how you can return to work soon amidst this pandemic well even though it doesn't feel like something to do sometimes 
you should certainly pray. Maybe things are really difficult at home with your husband, wife, kids, or parents. Uh, You should pray. Maybe you have a huge transition in life approaching and have no idea what's on the other side and how it will work, how you can manage it by your own strength. Well, pray. (laughs) Because it is the case that the plans that rely on our strength not the plans that glorify God the most. Now, God loves his glory. We thought about that from Psalm 8. And so he loves to deliver his people in ways that should not work from a human perspective so that he gets the glory. Now, that's really important for us because when God acts for us, we should respond in praise. Now, this psalm, tells us two things that we need to do, right? Okay, application is that first, we should note God's goodness to us. We should keep track of God's goodness to us. In this last week, we have seen many answered prayers. Now, if you were in the prayer meeting, you're aware of some of them, but ask your friends to to list some of these things. There are some amazing answered prayers in our congregation And we should note God's goodness. We have tasted and we have seen, even if there are still troubles, we have seen that God is good. And then second, after we we note God's goodness to us, we should tell not just God about his goodness, although we should praise God directly, but we should tell other people about God's goodness. When... So for Christians, right, when God provides, it's really encouraging for God's people to know that. You know, our elders were speaking this week about those answered prayers we've seen in recent days. And it made the next day better just knowing, being reassured and reminded that God is there, hears us, and answers. And we see in this psalm how when we cry out, God hears and answers. So then, right, when when you taste and see that the Lord is good, and note that for yourself, well, tell other Christians. It's encouraging for them. Right? And even the second half of this psalm is about, in many ways, it says, come, O children. This is about one way that we bring up our kids in the faith. We say, God has been good to us like this, and you should be aware of that. Now, in addition to that, you should also tell unbelievers about God's provision for you. Tell them about how there there is no way that your trouble should have ended, but you prayed and God helped. So then, right, Psalm 34 commissions us for evangelism. These full throttle praises come at the tail end of God rescuing David. So his praises are fresh. There is a reason that people say that that new Christians make the best evangelists, right? Their praises are fresh. They are ready to erupt in saying good things about God like this psalm. And then all their friends are unbelievers and they are hot 
to tell those friends about what God has done for them. Now, for the rest of us who are brand new Christians, let's not let our praises get stale. Let's keep our praises fresh. We can be reminded constantly of God's goodness by things in everyday life that he does for us, which help us speak about our God to our friends, family, and neighbors. But even apart from that, the fullness of salvation that we have in Christ should always be joyfully heavy on our hearts and fresh in our souls. Salvation should never become stale. Right, It should prompt us that when we have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, we should invite others to come hear how they can taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, this this psalm has a, a lot to say about how God treats the righteous. Okay, so the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of trouble. Now, verses 19 and 20 are pointed in how clearly they state God's provision. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Now, the scripture is clear that the righteous will have affliction. Life is not trouble-free. But God will pull the righteous from their trials. Now, this promise finds its full, clearest fulfillment in Jesus. And John 19 describes Christ's crucifixion. Okay, so as as Jesus was on the cross, the day was ending, and the, the Roman soldiers were eager for their victims to die. So, in that situation, they would, they would break the legs of those being crucified so that they could not hold themselves up to, to breathe well, and it would uh, hasten their death. Now, ver- verses 33 to 36 in John 19 read... But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, that you may believe. For these things took place, that the scripture might be fulfilled not one of his bones will be broken. Right, the Apostle John quotes Psalm 34 there about God preserving Christ's bones from being broken, even though he was clearly in affliction. God prevented the soldiers from breaking Jesus' legs to fulfill this promise from Psalm 34. Christ went under great affliction, even unto death. But yet his bones were not broken. God pulled Jesus back from the grave precisely because Christ was, 
is the fully righteous one, the one who earned the right to enter heaven on his own works. But we need to know that that promise is for us too. And it is for us because of Christ. Christ died in our place so that our afflictions, although they may be great in this world, will not haunt us forever. We will not be fully crushed, but God will keep us in place. Just as he pulled Christ from his grave, so too will he pull believers from theirs on the last day. You will not be left to rot if you trust in Jesus. No, quite the contrary. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. So, are you brokenhearted? Right? Verse 18 says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. And perhaps you need to remember that. And know that the fullness of God's presence rests with his people. And he has promised to be good to you. Let's pray together. Lord God, thank you for the promise that you are always with your people. Thank you for the reminder that we are people who have tasted and seen that you are good. We see that foremost in Jesus Christ. We see how you have offered such rich goodness to your people. We see how you have given us so many good things. You have given us deliverance. There is no higher blessing than that. You have promised to preserve us forever. You will not let us rot. You will not let us be condemned. You will not treat us like the wicked. You treat us like the righteous because of Jesus Christ. We pray in light of that, Lord, that you would help us to respond well, that we would erupt often in praise. And we pray that we would be motivated not just to speak to you, but to speak to people around us, that we would tell them of the good things that you have done, that we would go around talking of you, speaking of the gospel frequently, that we would be people who see that you are good, that we have tasted, we have seen, and we would let others know how good you are. We pray that you would help us in that, that we might find strength and courage, even as we consider how we might do that in the days ahead. We pray that you would equip us for the task, help us in it, and we pray these things for Christ's sake. Amen.